And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. Of course, it's Monday as we get ready to wrap up the week of the month of October, right? Right around the corner next week, of course, Halloween. Uh, then we get into November, December, of course, uh, you know, that's uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, lots of spending, lots of family, friends. <laughs> then everybody's glad it's over. <laughs> it's all fun while it lasts. It's like, ah, I'm glad that's over. Uh, but anyway, uh, so markets continue to trade a bit sloppy last week. And again, kind of the, you know, the markets haven't, uh, you know, participated as well. But, you know, despite all that, um, it's really kind of just normal kind of seasonal weakness. And again, we wrote an article uh, about three weeks ago talking about October weakness and that it's possible that because of this being a pre-presidential election year, which statistically suggests that markets remain weak during the month of October, that we could well see that. Well, that's exactly what's happened so far is that markets have remained fairly weak during the during the month of October. And again, you know, we haven't really gone anywhere uh, now for a couple of months. Um, actually, going all the way back here, uh, we've got to get back to basically June of this year. We've kind of gone nowhere since then. Now, of course, we had that big rally from the March lows to June. Uh, but since then, the uh, market's just really kind of trading weekly here as we kind of get ready to wrap up the month. Um, but then we get into November, December, and things look, you know, start to uh, kind of brighten up here a bit as well. We have a lot of stuff kind of going on as we get into year end. We'll talk about that some more here in just a moment. Um, out that, outside of that, over the weekend, of course, continued uh, escalation of what's happening over in Israel, certainly weighing on the markets. Geopolitical conflict always kind of weighs on sentiment, markets, etc. So that's not surprising as well. Uh, interest rates remain high here, and that's uh, this morning ticking up 10-year at about 5% this morning. That's certainly weighing on sentiment as well. So again, just kind of a lot of things that are all kind of playing into this current narrative of negativity that we have uh, right now. But the question becomes, is the year-end rally that we're expecting in jeopardy? And that's certainly a potential possibility, is it? And then, as we said this before, is that while statistically speaking, you should get a rally into year-end, it's not a guaranteed thing, right? There's a lot of stuff going on right now. The Federal Reserve uh, starts their meeting next week uh, on Halloween, <laughs> no less, October 31st, November the 1st. Um, they'll announce their next kind of rate hike, uh, you know, kind of outlook um, at that meeting. It's not going to change a whole lot. Thursday, of course, uh, Jerome Powell this past week uh, gave a speech to the Economic Council and, and talked about the fact that interest rates, you know, are, are kind of higher for longer here, but that the right, and, and again, he echoed a lot of the sentiment that we'd heard from all the other Fed speakers all week long last week, talking about the fact that the higher 10-year yield rate is doing the work for the Fed, and that's acting as an increase in Fed rate hikes, so there's not as much for them to do at this moment. Of course, he also turned around and had to leave that one rate hike out on the table, and that's what kind of spooked the bond market on Thursday and Friday, was this idea of one more rate hike. But as we said before, uh, the Federal Reserve can't take that rate hike off the table. They can't say, we're done hiking rates. They're gonna continue to leave that rate hike sitting out there 
uh, just in case they do need it. If we do get a pickup in inflation, they need to be able to do that. So they're never going to come out and say, we're done hiking rates. But again, every Fed speaker last week, even Jerome Powell, noting that the rise in the 10-year yield has acted as about a three, acted equivalent to three rate hikes. So the financial conditions in the market has tightened by about an additional 80 basis points because of that rise in the 10-year yield and the tightening of financial conditions. So the Fed doesn't need to do as much work here, but they're also not going to come out and say, hey, we're ready to cut rates because, again, that would undo all of the work they've done. So expect at this meeting next week that nothing much is going to change from that position. They're not going to uh, Jerome Powell's not going to change his position from last Thursday to next Tuesday. So again, what you're going to hear next week is pretty much going to be the exact same speech that he just gave to the economic uh, symposium. So uh, again, that weighed a bit on the bond market on Thursday and Friday, um, pushed rates up here a bit today as well. And again, that is acting as a further break on economic activity. But of course, at the same time, economic activities remain very strong. So you know, this all kind of just plays in to kind of this current environment we live in until we start to see a real break in economic activity. It's going to be a little bit longer here. Okay, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. As I, as I was saying, uh, the market is certainly uh, kind of working within this correctional phase, that uh, correctional weakness, that, that summer weakness running through the month of October. As we've stated before, that's certainly well within the context of normality, particularly within a pre-election year as we're in right now. Uh, October, weakness tends to run through the month of October. And then you get better performance as we get into November, December, certainly playing along with that. Um, but in the short term, technicals certainly at risk here. Uh, markets are looking to open a little bit lower this morning. Dow's now at about 176 points this morning. Of course, that can change pretty quick. But uh, markets flirting with that 200-day moving average, uh, and we certainly want to pay attention to that. Uh, now, again, as we've talked about before, be real careful with technical analysis. One of the mistakes that people make is, is that as soon as you get a break of a moving average, it's like, oh, I gotta sell. Um, it broke the moving average, I've gotta sell because that's my stop. Be a little careful with that because more often than not, what will happen is markets will break a particular moving average and then immediately recover and go right back above it. And this is why a lot of people get frustrated by technical analysis, like, oh, it doesn't work, it broke the 200 day, then turned right around and went up, I got stopped out of everything and I missed the rally. That happens a lot. So what you're looking for here is a, what we call a confirmed break of the 200-day moving average. So you're looking for the, the, the break of the moving average to occur uh, with some kind of veracity. Like, and, that, and, and Friday, we closed just barely below it. So that doesn't, you know, we're, we're sitting on it right now. We're just a little bit below it. But you're looking for a confirmed break below that. The market to come back up, retest that 200-day moving average, and then fail at that 200-day moving average. If that occurs, that is a confirmed break of the 200-day. That is your sell signal to reduce equity risk in your portfolios. Uh, be real careful, as I said, though, with these real short-term breaks, because again, it's not uncommon to see the market break this, then turn right around and turn back up for a rally. And again, this is where you get frustrated in a lot of cases. Markets are oversold here on a short-term basis. We did re-trigger that MACD sell signal, but it's at a pretty low level which suggests that downside is probably limited 
in this rally. So again, even if we do kind of break this 200-day moving average, there's a lot of support sitting here right at 4,200. And then you've got a lot more support sitting right around 4,100 and 4,000. So uh, again, when you kind of take a look at the markets where they are, there's uh, a lot of the selling pressure has been done. Uh, if we go back to the March lows to the June-July highs, we've already completed a 50% retracement of that advance. So again, now normally that's about what you would expect in a corrective phase. So we're probably closer to the end of this correction than not. And then of course, as I said, that kind of sets us up for that November, December rally. You've got your stock buybacks starting in November. Then you've got basically year end performance chasing and rebalancing by mutual funds into December. Doesn't mean it's going to be just a straight up shot by any stretch of the imagination, but more than likely you're going to have a little bit more upside in the market. I would use that rally to begin reducing risk in your portfolio before we get into 2024 because next year may be a very different story. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into, so don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internetadvice.com. Hey, morning. Welcome back to the show. So last night, my uh, wife was cooking dinner, of course, and uh, she cooks dinner every Sunday. It's just kind of her thing. And, and so, of course, you know, after dinner, we're, you know, cleaning everything up, you know, washing the dishes, you know, putting stuff into containers, to, you know, for leftovers, because leftovers are a great thing, right? Leftovers are the best thing during the week. So, you know, she's in the kitchen and uh, she's she's over wrestling with the saran wrap and she's not, you know, she's not wearing her glasses as usual. And so she's trying to find the little edge on the saran wrap and she's, you know, kind of mumbling under her breath and she's kind of wrestling with the saran wrap. So I'm watching this go on in the kitchen and, and she's got the bowl out. She's got the food that's in the bowl. Right. And she's wrestling with the saran wrap, cursing at it at this point, struggling with it. And and so, you know, I, I I looked at this bowl and it's it has a lid that goes on it. And so I, I looked in the drawer and now my wife is the worst when it comes to Tupperware of anything. She can never put the Tupperware lid on the actual container when she puts it away. So we have this drawer that's a hodgepodge of just Tupperware bottoms and Tupperware tops. And it's kind of a mix and match plan, I guess, uh, in her case. So anyway, I happened to look. And then in the back of this drawer is the lid that goes to this particular container. So I reach in very quietly. I get it. I put the lid on it. and I walk out of the kitchen. Now, by the time I get to the living room, I hear, aha! And she's got this saran, this piece of saran wrap off the wrapper. Now it's all like mangled up, right? It's the, the edges are all ragged and it's all wrinkled in the middle and it's kind of stuck together. And I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do with that. But she's got it. She's holding up. She's so proud of herself because she's got this piece of saran wrap in her hands. And she turns around to put it on the container and it's sitting there with a the lid on it. And then came the string of profanity and the saran wrap came throwing out of the kitchen at me. So I did nothing. I just put the lid on the container. Anyway, I'm filing for husband abuse. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, lots of stuff kind of going on uh, right now. Um, you know, uh, again, talking about the Federal Reserve last week, Jerome Powell made a few statements, and we, and we addressed this this weekend um, in our newsletter. So if you haven't been by our website re- yet and read our weekly newsletter, um, we publish that every week. If you subscribe to it, we email it to you on Saturday morning. Um, and so you'll you'll have a copy of it. But we kind of went through some of the comments that Jerome Powell made last Thursday. And, you know, it was a fairly dovish message. And initially, when Jerome Powell started speaking, yields fell pretty sharply. Um, when he started talking about financial conditions, these are his quotes, financial conditions have tightened significantly in recent months, and longer-term bond yields have been an important driving factor in this tightening. We remain attentive to these developments because persistent changes in financial conditions can have implications for the path of monetary policy. So what he's saying is, very clearly, is that higher interest rates on the 10-year Treasury is doing the job of the Federal Reserve, which means, quote-unquote, they won't need to hike because it's already doing the job for them, and they're remaining attentive to that. Um, but, again, as I said, you know, going into the meeting last week, he can't take that one rate hike off the table. That, that one kind of rate hike that's sitting out there, he has to leave that out there, because if, for any, if he took it off, if he said, hey, we're done hiking rates, immediately yields would fall sharply. Uh, you'd be at 4% before you know it. And the stock market would take off, and that would boost consumer confidence. Lower interest rates would remove that tightening effect of financial conditions and then potentially put inflationary pressures back on the table, the risk. And so the Fed's very cautious about wanting to remove that one rate hike because of the adverse reaction that markets would have, which would undermine their ability to fight inflation. And this is what he said. Additional evidence of persistently above trend growth in in the economy or that tightness in the labor market is no longer easing could put further progress on inflation at risk and could warrant further tightening of monetary policy. In any case, inflation's too high and a few months of good data are the only the beginning of what now. And this was the kind of the key sentence that the market overlooked, right? So they took that first part of that sentence and said, oh, my gosh, he's still going to hike rates and he still thinks inflation's a problem. But then they, they overlooked the last part of the sentence, which said, in any case, inflation is still too high. OK, I'll, there, he's not to hike rates more. Right. And a few months of good data are only the beginning. Now, they took that as saying a few months of good data of economic data, growth, retail sales, et cetera. But that's not what he said. You have to go to the end of the sentence. He says, a few months of good data are only the beginning of what will it be to uh, what of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. So what he's talking about in terms of good data is that the inflationary pressure readings have been declining. Yeah, they've ticked up here over the last couple of months. But again, data just just doesn't go straight down. You're gonna have bumps along the way, but the trend the, the, the trend of inflationary data is lower ever since June of last year. So he's had good results of inflationary pressures coming down. You've had oil prices contract. You know, they bounced up a little bit, but they were falling pretty sharply before. 
Um, and so you've got this kind of downward pressure on inflation. Now, the market overlooked that. Again, they're focused on this higher for longer narrative and, and that the Fed's going to have to keep hiking rates because inflation's too high, et cetera. That's what the market's focused on. But what he's saying is, is that, that they are still focused on inflation coming down towards their trend of 2% inflation by next year. Again, none of that is new news. Right, That is what, what has been stated by every Fed official over the course of the last really two weeks. And what's interesting about this, this is a very different narrative change for the Fed. And Mike and I talked a little bit about this on Thursday last week because the Fed has gone from, oh, we're going to need to hike rates more. We're going to need to hike rates a lot more. Um, you know, inflation still a big problem. That was what the narrative was earlier this year. All of a sudden, very quickly, as, as interest rates approach 5%, just in the last two weeks, that narrative immediately changed to we're done hiking rates. Uh, rates are sufficiently restrictive. The yield, uh, the, the yield on bonds is doing our job for us. You know, we won't need to hike as much. This has been a very common narrative among all the Fed speakers of the last two weeks and a very marked change to what we had seen previously. So again, next week, as I said uh, in the first segment, Tuesday, Wednesday, is the next Fed meeting. And nothing's going to change here between Powell's, meeting, uh, Powell's speech on Thursday. They're not going to drastically, you know, drastically rewrite everything between <laughs> Thursday of last week and, and next Wednesday. So expect the same statement from Jerome Powell on next Wednesday. No rate hike. Interest rates are doing the job for us. Inflation is coming down towards our target. They will also probably set the table of no rate hike in December. Very likely, we have seen the last rate hike in June. It will take some time before the market begins to realize the Fed is now done hiking rates. And that probably won't be until the first quarter, first half of next year before the market finally realized that. But, you know, this is just something to keep in mind. You know, what the Fed says is they're trying to guide the market and market participants to their goal. And what they don't want is for the market to front run the Fed. In other words, they don't want bond traders to start buying bonds rather than shorting them, which causes interest rates to fall sharply. That, again, creates a problem of loosening monetary conditions, which can create a resurgence in inflation. You know, the Fed was pretty, uh, Jerome Powell was pretty clear on Thursday, they still want higher unemployment and they want slower economic growth. Uh, that message was very, very clear in a statement. They are going to maintain these higher rates until the economy breaks. That's just a function of time. But that's what they're wanting. So yes, you know, we've had a good bit of strong economic data here over the last couple of months. Um, Retail sales, you know, uh, last week as an example was strong, much stronger than expected. But a lot of this is lagging data. And over the next couple of months, we'll see how we do as we get to two of the biggest shopping months of the year. We got Thanksgiving coming up, then you've got uh, Christmas right around that. Retail sales will be very telling as to the real state of how strong the economy is over the next couple of months. But again, all of this data is lagging, and it's all subject 
to very big negative revisions. And this is why when we look back over time, you know, by the time the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says, oh, yeah, the recession started here, um, it's six to 12 months previous. And if you go back to that period in time and say, okay, well, what was economic growth then? Well, economic growth was always running at, you know, two and a half or three and a half percent. And then we find out six to 12 months later, it wasn't. After the revisions, we find out that economic growth was running negative. Because we're looking at data that's subject to heavy revisions. So this is why it's always very challenging for investors. There's not a clear-cut signal that says, okay, hey, this month, you know, the economy just fell off the cliff because we just never know that. And we won't know that till sometime late next year. Assume if you want to assume that a recession started in Q3 of 2023, you're not going to know that for a year until they come back and do the revisions to the data. And that's always the problem with these recessions. You're never going to know when the recession actually started until 6 to 12 to 18 months after the fact. All right. Come back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so welcome back to the show this morning all else is not equal um so this weekend's newsletter so again if you go to our website realinvestmentadvice.com if you haven't read our newsletter this weekend, we, we tackle kind of one of the, the myths running around the markets right now is talking about budget deficits and the debt. And this is why interest rates are going up. Um, there's certainly, you know, reason for concern. I mean, uh, spending is, you know, just being done ad hoc. You know, we don't we don't run a budget and this is, you know, a problem. I, I thought it was interesting. There was a survey by Pew Research over the weekend asking people what they thought about politics or, and about, I shouldn't say about politics, but about politicians in general. You know, what do you think about politicians in Washington and policy more than anything else? What do you think about policy uh, in Washington? And, you know, there wasn't, no one said, no one in the survey said, oh, it's great. They're doing a great job, right? It was, it's crap. It's diversive. It's you know. It's 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 stupid. You know. It's just you know every negative view that you can think of relating to our politicians and policies that are coming out of Washington, and you know. So it's certainly a concern that we have this kind of runaway spending and. One of the latest memes kind of running around the market is that, you know, the, it's, this, it's like all of a sudden deficits matter. We've been running deficits since 1980. 
And we talked a little bit about this last week as well. And, and so if you take a look at, you know, federal debt as it exists, it's certainly rising, right? But it's running below the growth trend that we've been running since 1966. And what's important about this is that when we take a look at, you know, kind of the drivers of the deficit, right? So how do you have a deficit? You have revenue and you have debt, right? So you issue debt to cover your, your spread between what you're spending and what you're bringing in in revenues. Well, so revenues have been declining and what we're spending is going up, which is leading to a rising deficit. But that deficit isn't a new thing. We've been running a deficit since 1980. And revenues are growing, you know, kind of, along its trend. They have declined here recently because obviously we have a slower economic environment going on because of higher rates. Spending has contracted back to its long-term kind of growth trend after that big surge that we had in 2020-2021. So yes, it seems like we're spending a lot of money and we did spend a lot of money back in 2020-2021, absolutely. $5 trillion of checks sent directly to households. That's why you have inflation. But spending is now kind of returned back to the to the normal trend of of our spending, and deficits are resuming along their long term exponential growth trend. So again, it, it's certainly concerning that we have this you know rising deficit, but and and in an environment where you would think about this, the the thesis or the meme at this moment is that well it's all this all this spending is what's creating more debt be, or, or, and more uh, higher interest rates because nobody wants to buy our debt you know if they want if they want to buy the debt they're going to charge a higher rate and in a world where all else is equal that's a true statement so bond traders saying hey look if you're going to issue a lot of debt i'm gonna have to charge you a higher rate i've got to compensate for inflation i've got to compensate for risk and so in that environment yeah all else equal, you should have higher interest rates because of more debts and more deficits. Absolutely makes sense. But all else isn't equal. Since 2008, we have central banks, which have been huge buyers of debt. You know, a lot of people have been talking about lately, it's like, oh, China has sold, you know, $20 billion of their holdings. You know, whatever it is, they're, they're dumping their bonds. China owns 2.4% of our federal debt. The Federal Reserve owns almost 8% of our debt. They're the ones that are selling right now. Federal Reserve is doing QT. They're the ones selling bonds. Most of those are just letting bonds roll off to maturity, but they are technically reducing their holdings of federal debt. So all else is not equal in this environment. And when there is a, and this is one thing that Jerome Powell said, in his meeting and his speech last Thursday, he said, look, if if something happens, right, if, if we slow the economy too much, we have the tools to deal with that, which means we'll go and buy bonds. So they will be back. They will return to being bond buyers at some point. So all else is not equal. Janet Yellen recently said that they need interest rates between 1% and 2% in order to keep issuing debt and and." and running the country and bring interest costs down. 
How do you get back to 1% to 2%? Fed cuts rates. Fed starts buying bonds. You have a recession. That's how you get rates back to 1% or 2%. Pulls the stress off the bond market. Pulls the stress off the housing market, etc. But again, this idea that debts and deficits lead to higher interest rates and higher inflation is, is, is not true. Um, we can go back and just, you know, and again, these are always great narratives for the moment, but if we just go back and look at data, right, we can see the underlying correlations of what happens when the government issues a lot of debt and, and increases their deficits. And again, this has been going on for a long time. We go back to 1973. Uh, we saw a big rate of change in government debt when Reagan was spending to combat the recession uh, that was caused by Volcker drastically increasing interest rates to break the back of inflation. Then Bush com Bush started spending more money to combat the recession in 91. Then we had Obama spending a whole bunch of money uh, in 2008 to combat the financial crisis. Then we had Trump and Biden spending a whole lot of money to combat the COVID shutdown. So all of that rate of change in debt is now reverting back to its long-term trend, which is lower But you'll notice that along that same run, both the economic composite, which is a composite of inflation, GDP, and wages, has been declining, along with interest rates. Yes, interest rates are up right now because we had a massive surge in spending in 2020, 21, and 22 that created inflation. So yes, interest rates have come up because economic growth went up, because inflation went up, because wages went up. So interest rates went up. As that reverts, interest rates will come back down again. And that analysis really becomes a lot clearer when you just take a look at the economic composite versus the deficit. The general meme is, is oh, we have this surging deficit, and that's why rates are going up. And there's really no evidence of that. We've been running a deficit since 1980. As the deficit has increased, interest rates and economic growth have declined. Again, except for the, the, this, this short-term environment where we sent $5 trillion worth of money directly to households that, that created an art of, and, and obviously did moratoriums on rent payments and student loan payments and everything else, created a short-term demand, supply, and balance that led to both higher prices and economic growth. That is all reverting. It'll take time. As we talked about before, it's the pig and the python, right? It takes time to flush all that out through the system. And, and importantly, you know, it, it, the comments are interesting because it's like, well, you know, this has never been done anywhere before. And, you know, this is a, you know, there, there's no precedent for this. So we really don't know how this plays out. Well, yeah, we do. Because all we have to do is look at Japan, which since, you know, 1980, They've been combating rolling recessions and uh, declining economic activity, falling interest rates. The bank, the central bank of Japan, the Bank of Japan now owns 80% of the bond market, the ETF market. They've been doing a variety of stuff, and that's kept inflation running low. Interest rates remain near zero. And if we look back, you know, over the course of time, you know, interest rates continue to decline. They have little spurts of economic activity. Followed by recessions. They have rolling recessions about every three to four years. So, you know, that's the environment that we're heading to. They have 210% of, of debt to GDP. We're about 114 right now. 
So they have a lot of similarities to the U.S. over time. And importantly, you know, all rates are relative around the world. Remember that we, we operate on economic balances. This is why, you know, countries buy or sell our treasuries to keep their currency in line. Interest rates move in direction with each other. And if you take a look at the long-term interest rate of Japan, long-term interest rate of the United States, all rates are relative over time. And we have a lot of similarities. We have aging demographics. We've got, you know, large import-export imbalances. We have, you know, high debt to GDPs, high dependency on welfare programs, you know, all these type of things. We have all the same kind of backdrop that Japan has. And they're in much worse financial shape than we are, but the world hasn't come to an end. They don't have, you know, if we were, if, if large debts, you know, if large debt to GDP ratios and big deficits led to higher rates, the interest rate in Japan would be double digits, but it's not. It's near zero. In fact, they have, they're having to do yield curve control to keep it above zero. So be careful with narratives. They make for great headlines in the short term, but generally they don't hold a whole lot of water over time. All right, quick break. We'll come back, wrap up the show. Don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, you know, if you take a look around the world right now, it certainly seems to be hectic, chaotic, dire. At this moment, we've got conflicts on two continents now and you know, lots of concerns about, you know, uh, wealth inequality and political division and the cost of food and, and you know, we've got racism issues, et cetera. And, you know, these all seem to be like a new era, right? This is the first time this has happened in our country ever. And, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we've had strikes, you know, union strikes all around the country of, of you know, union workers, uh, whether it's, whether it was the Actors and Actors Guild or the Writers Guild or the Auto Workers Guild, you know they're all, you know, demanding more money and they want fair fair work environment or whatever it is. But you know this certainly seems like a different time. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, when I was growing up, my dad used to, you know, always talk about my generation being y'all are the y'all are the worst generation. You know, I feel for y'all, you know, going forward because y'all are just destroying the country. Uh, maybe he was right. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's always comes from a people's perspective of where they are in time. And, you know, I remember growing up with my dad, who was born in 1936. My mom was born in 1934. You know, they grew up and they were, you know, babies during the Depression. And, you know, then they, they were old enough to remember World War II and, and, and lived through that. 
and you know what came after as well and of course we have this huge economic boom they went through the inflation of the 70s and um so you know they were they were you know crafted by that era in time and then of course they they saw in the 70s you know they saw the the younger generation than them go through you know Woodstock and the sex drugs and rock and roll you know kind of craze and and of course you know the the LSD and you know free love and you know of course the the conflict or the you know the protest over the Vietnam War you know spitting on our soldiers when they were coming they they, they saw all that right and they all witnessed that and, and and it's and it's interesting because you look at that time of course they had Watergate you know with Richard Nixon and they had inflation with Carter um, they had the assassination of President Kennedy. And so they went through a very disturbing period of time. Um, you know, you had the Cold War going on. You had the Vietnam War. You had the Korean War. So they, they lived through very much the same thing, you know, civil rights, um, you know, movement back then as well. So they went through very much the same type of environment that you are seeing today, right? And, and back then, it certainly seemed like it's like I, mean, I don't know how we're going to live through this. This is just you know, uh, you know, we got we got nuclear warheads being positioned in Cuba, right? Bay of Pigs and and all that. So they had tons of fears, just like we have today. And they were worried about high interest rates and high inflation rates back then, what that was going to do. And the important part about this is, is that we go through these periods in time. And somehow, miraculously, we come out of it. And we kind of reset the table a bit. We kind of get focused back on what's important. And we grow our economy again. And again... You know, my parents were convinced that my generation, you know, this, this rock and roll generation, it's terrible music. I don't know why y'all even call that music, right? Their views were really no different. I, I thought it was interesting because Brent always posts some little notes on my uh, screen in the morning in case I run out of material. But this one um, piece he put up today was really kind of apropos to this point. It was comments made in the year 1957. I'll tell you one thing. If, keeps, if things keep going the way they are, it's going to be impossible to buy a week's groceries for $20. I'm afraid to send my kids to the movies anymore ever since they let Clark Gable get by with saying, damn, and gone with the wind. Now it seems like every new movie either has hell or damn in it. Have you seen the new cars coming out next year? It won't be long before $5,000 will only buy you a used one. But these were real concerns, right? If cigarettes keep going up at this price, I'm going to quit. A quarter a pack is ridiculous. But they were dealing with the same thing that we're dealing with today. And they certainly had the same set of concerns. They were sending, the, and, and unlike today, where we're watching conflicts from afar, they were sending their children to these conflicts. Korea, Vietnam, Grenada, so forth and so on.
So, you know, it's understandable. And, and the reason I bring this up is, is that, A, first of all, the world didn't end. We got through it. From a financial perspective, we got through it. Markets traded poorly for 20 years from the 1960s, 1980s. Markets went, uh, early 1980s, markets went nowhere. They went sideways. On an inflation-adjusted basis, your return over that 20-year period was about negative 10% after inflation. That period, in, in 1973-74, that was the big crash. We had three bear markets prior to 1973-74, between 1960 and then. 1973-74 was called a black bear because at the bottom of the market in 1974, nobody wanted to own stocks. It was like, the stock market is dead. Never coming back. And that was the best buying opportunity ever. Starting in 1980, inflation came down, interest rates came down. Deregulated the financial industry. People got back to work. We innovated new technologies with Federal Express and the internet, computers, Etc. And what seemed to be one of the darkest periods ever, right? Unless you grew up through the Depression, turned out to be the beginning of something that lasted for 20 years. You went through a 20 year boom in economic growth and wealth and prosperity and, you know, increases in the financial markets. So my point is, is that, look, things are really dire right now. I get it. It's going to take a while longer to get through this. We're not there yet. Again, you know, you're talking about a 20-year period that people had to deal with. And it was, it was miserable over that 20-year period. We've probably got that ahead of us, but it's not the end of the world. And, and, and when we take a look at what's going on in the, in the politics around us and in the world around us, it will end. And we will make a decision to make things better. Hopefully, we'll elect different politicians. We'll elect different people into office and, and local races, as well as state races, as well as, you know, governmental races, will demand a change to the political tenor. And, you know, we'll realize the, the fallacies and the flaws of what we believe to be the hot movements of the moment and get back to things that actually make the economy stronger. You know, we have to have hope, right? We have to have hope because hope is all we have at the end of the day. And there, there's a lot of reasons to have a very negative view about the future. Yeah, it looks terrible right now. It looked terrible to people back in the night, late 50s and 60s as well. They survived it. They got through it. Better times ahead. So, you know, again, you know, maybe this time is different. I don't know. But I think you've got to have hope that... At some point, 
things will get better because again the people that were you know my parents and my grandparents that were living when I was a child had the same view about the world that you know the, Thank goodness I won't live to see the day when the government takes half our income in taxes. I sometimes wonder if we're electing the best people to Congress. You know, the things they worried about came true in a lot of cases. But the world went on. So just one thing to uh, just think about as we start a new week and begin to wrap up the month. Um, not real, not a whole lot of earnings out today. Phillips, Cleveland Cliffs, Logitech today. Um Big ones tomorrow, Google, Microsoft, Coke, General Motors, uh, General Electric, Raytheon Technologies, um, Spotify, Snap, Teladoc, Texas Instruments, Verizon, Visa, and 3M tomorrow. So uh, really going to get into the, the meat of the S&P 500 starting tomorrow. We've had about 17% of the S&P report so far. Right now, the beat rate's around 73%. That'll likely go up here over the next week or so. But again... Not too much today, but tomorrow uh, really kind of kicking off a lot of the of the, the of the of the bulk of the big S&P 500 companies. All right. Wraps up the show for the day. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.